0: All right, take your Bibles and turn to Second Chronicles 35. That's not necessarily a text for us tonight, but that's where we're going to start with kind of the first point that we're going to look at. So we'll start there. I'll have you turn there first, at least. And um, 6.30. Boy, what time does it get dark? 8.30, somewhere around there? 8.15? We put some new lights up on the outside of the building out there, shining out into the parking lot, down on the sidewalk and everything else. So we're going to have to go at least till then, just to make sure we know if they work or not. But um, now it was one of those things with the, uh, you know, these, these light poles out here. They wanted to charge us, uh, I think, like three, 3.5 million or something like that to check the lights and then to see what they were going to charge us to fix them after that. So there's no point in doing all that stuff. So we just put some lights on the outside of the building and uh, got that all set up. So if it's dark when you get out of here, then you know we lasted long enough. If not, then we have to wait a little longer. But... Um, Anyway, we are talking uh, in this really broad series about what I believe and why. We've been doing that on Sunday nights for most of this year. Uh, It's very important that we understand what the Bible says. It's very important that we understand what we believe, but then also why we say we believe those things. There's a lot of people, especially those who grew up in church, that say, oh, I believe this or I believe that, but why do you believe that? Well, that's what I've always heard. That's what I've always been taught. Well, why? Where does the Bible say anything about it? And so that's what, we're, that's what we've been focusing on with this whole series, what I believe and why. And I say what I believe because it's what I believe. I, I believe that this is what the Bible says. I don't expect every single person to have every single belief exactly the same way that I have it, but I hope that by the time I show you enough verses from the Bible that you'll have the same belief. Uh, but we started uh, last week, or maybe two weeks ago, talking about music, and we said that music was an emotional language, and we talked about all of those different things. This is a this is kind of a broad series that we're covering about the issue of music, and really the issue of music in church. But I'm going to discuss two aspects of music in. In this, in this entire series, personal music and then corporate music, and when I say corporate, I'm saying the, the church music, the music that we use in church, why we use the music that we do, and so what I want to do really tonight is talk about personal music and and kind of discuss how we use mu- music personally, and then take those same principles and apply that to how we use that in the church, and we're not going to do all of that tonight, but in other words, I guess, what are some valid uses to which we can put... Um, this wonderful emotional language of music into use. So that's the title tonight, how to use music. How to use music. The basic thrust of of, of these ideas spring from the principle that music is an emotional language. And um, if it's an emotional language, then obviously people express their emotions. People express their emotions in lots of different ways, right? Anger, sadness, you know, sorrow, joy. There's lots of different emotions, right? And uh, I, I believe music is the same way. So um, essentially, emotions that are, that are proper or okay for the Christian that can be stimulated by appropriate music that is appropriate to use. So what are those situations? What are those circumstances? That's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to show you from the Bible some acceptable ways that we can use music, whether it's instrumental music or lyrical music or, or you know, music with instruments and words. Um, that outside of the church context, our daily life, how they can be used, how, they are, um, h- how we can use music, all right? And then I, and, and after we get to the end of this tonight, then I'm, I'm gonna try to bring some of that together for you to understand exactly why we talked about that um, and exactly what direction we're gonna go within that, with that going forward, okay? We're not gonna be too long tonight, but I wanna, I wanna give you some of these things. So number one, you can use music to empathize with others. And in Second Chronicles chapter 35, uh, let me, let me kind of set the scene for you a little bit here. Josiah was one of the better kings of Judah. And uh, if you remember, what was that? Wednesday night, I guess, when we talked about the, the split kingdom, the northern kingdom with the ten tribes and the southern kingdom with the two tribes. Once those two kingdoms split, there were no good kings on the northern side. Um, none of those kings that came gave any honor to God. None of those kings did anything that was right in the sight of the Lord. But there was a good handful of them that did do right, in the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And Josiah was one of those kings. How old was Josiah when he came to the throne? Does anybody remember? Johan? He was eight years old, right? A young king. Young king. And he didn't even reign that long, honestly, because he was trying to, he was trying to defend his country militarily. He was trying to defend his country politically. And he was trying to deliver their, the, the nation of Judah from this coming Babylonian storm. And only 18 years into his reign, I'm going to make you do some math, how old was he when he died? 26, right? You don't think of that that often, that Josiah, you know, this good king, died at 26 years old. Usually you don't even start, you know, the world doesn't even know you're there until you're 26, right? But he left his mark. He left his mark because he was a king that obviously somebody trained him right that pushed him in this direction of serving God. But only 18 years into his reign, he was killed uh, directly in a battle with Egypt before Nebuchadnezzar conquered Judah. But because he was such a good king, he was very, very missed by his people. And that's where we come to 2 Chronicles 35. Jeremiah, the ministry of the, uh, the music ministry of the temple, many other people um, had this musical lamentation for their king. Second Chronicles 35 and verse number 25. And Jeremiah lamented for Josiah and all the singing men. And the singing women spake of Josiah in their lamentations to this day, and made them an ordinance in Israel. And behold, they are written in the lamentations. Now, this this is not in a church sense. This is not in a worship sense. This is not in any of those sense. They were just singing a song of lamentation. Um, in Matthew chapter nine, you don't need to turn over there because we're not going to take time to read through that passage. But you see the exact same thing. Jairus, right? He was a leader in the synagogue, and his daughter died. And of course. Uh, they had sympathetic friends that gathered around there to mourn. And in that passage, that's where Jesus was getting ready to raise Jairus' raise daughter from the dead, and, he, and, and they, what did they do? They laughed him to scorn, right? But it said that they were there singing these lamentations and doing all of these things to, to just help them mourn the loss of their daughter, uh, or Jairus' loss of his daughter. So they gathered to provide this music to accompany that morning. I remember this when I was... Um, Let's see, I was probably, I might have been in 10th or 11th grade, maybe, maybe a little bit older than that, but our neighbor growing up, uh, 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 Darcel McCoy, great singer, black man, and they lived right next door to us, and he was an evangelist. I mean, he traveled all over the country and, and preached and sang, and he was really well known for his singing. He, he grew up in Gary, Indiana, and actually had his own band there in Gary, Indiana. And uh, got saved and, and got into church, went to college there as a, as a grown man with a family and everything else, graduated from Bible college and went out and, and, and God used him in a great way. But I remember, I still remember to this day getting the call from one of my friends that he was on his way. Darso McCoy was on, the, on his way to the church early in the morning, I think 6:30 in the morning or something. Uh, we had a weight room there, and he would go there and work out with his kids sometimes, and he has a daughter with him, and, and they were sitting on a, on a corner, and we, we took the same route to school because we lived right next door to them, but on this corner, was, there was a highway, and the road that we came in from the back road kind of came onto this, and I say highway, it was a four-lane road, but it was more like Hall Street or something like that. But right there on that curve, a, a drunk guy coming home from a bar Uh, didn't even see the the corner and just went straight and ran right into the side of his his vehicle. He had actually had his daughter drive that day because she was learning how to drive, and so he was the one that was in the passenger seat, and he got killed instantly on impact. And uh, he was very well loved by our church, and so I just, I remember... Uh, I mean, the news hit really, really hard, but Pastor, Dr. Vogelin, my pastor, uh, very reserved, very, you know, just very stoic, one of these guys that, you, you know, you didn't know if it was okay to smile and say hi and wave to him or not, uh, just, just uh, really, uh, really German, I guess is a good way to describe him, but I remember walking down the hallway in the education wing and hearing him playing Darcelle McCoy's songs so loud, it was almost like you were in the room. And this was coming from his office. And I just, I mean, you could just tell that, that, that he, was, it was, he was deeply hurt and deeply moved by the fact that Darcy McCoy had gotten killed in this car accident. And I just, I did, it moved me because, you know, you walk down and you hear this singing. You hear this man who, who spent his entire, you know, uh, adult life, for that matter, after he got saved, you know, singing and preaching. And it's, it's lamenting, but it's, it's, it, it's, it does good for the soul. I remember the same thing in uh, Miss Loyda. After Renato passed away, I mean, just, uh, you know, they, while he was in the hospital, they were playing his songs, and they were all, the whole family was just listening to him singing, and and the same thing that we did for a few weeks after he passed away here in, in our church. It's just... That, that lamenting, that music does good for the soul. And so if somebody around you is hurting, appropriate music played in their presence or, or giving, given to them as a gift can certainly be something that would be a healing thing for them. So use music to empathize with others. The second way that we can use music, and turn over to Psalm 45. And uh, um, the second way that we can use music is to amplify romance with your spouse. Now, oh, you can't do that. You can't You can't listen to romantic music. Well, look what it says in Psalm 45, and if you have, um, if your Bible has the titles in Psalms, and most of them do, uh, before verse number one, it says, to the chief musician upon Shoshanim, for the sons of Korah mashil a song of loves. My heart is inditing a good matter, the first verse says. I speak of the things which I have made, touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Now go over to Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5, while you're turning over there, I think we can say that Song of Solomon is a perfect example of this, right? If you've ever read through the book of Song of Solomon, it's, it's, it's basically a love song or a love story, if you will. Uh, song of Solomon 1.1 1, 1 says, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, and then he goes through and sings... Uh, you, you, at least you, you assume, singing this love song to his, his bride. But Isaiah chapter 5 and verse number 1 says this, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath the vineyard in, in, in a very fruitful hill, but I will sing to my beloved a song of my beloved. So the idea that every couple has a song, you know, their own song that they sing, whether it was a song that was played at their wedding or sang at their wedding or something like that. It's it's very well known. A lot of people have, well, this is our song, you know, our song, uh, Pastor, I mean, I remember Pastor Brothers doing this all the time, too, he would, uh, he had different songs like that, and and uh, Mrs. Brothers would go get in the car and turn the car on, and he would have the CD on to that song in the car, and so as soon as she started it, it would start playing. That's, that's the way you did it before social media, or not social media, but before technology, right? <laughs> now you can just send it to them on a text or whatever else, and they can listen to it whenever. But uh, he would go in there, put the CD in the car, get it to that number, and so when she turned it on, it came on to that song. And just, just romantic songs, you know? But do you know that more songs are written about love than about any other topic? And it does, I mean, I don't think that would be a hard thing for you to imagine. But now, uh, some of these love songs, obviously, that we hear worldly, and I um, mean, a love song for the most part is not a Christian song. And some of them I would disagree with very much um, over their content or over their form or how they're sung or, or what they're sung with and so on. But uh, if, if, those are, if those are biblically um, acceptable, the overarching principle of using music to strengthen romantic uh, emotions is is very much acceptable. So, um, romantic music, while it may be, um, uh, what's the right word? Inappropriate, I guess. In an illicit relationship, is perfectly normal and perfectly fine within a, a marriage relationship. So, use music to amplify romance with your spouse. The third thing, the way to use music, is to use music to teach your children scriptural truth. Turn over to Deuteronomy six. Use music to teach your children scriptural truth. Now, Deuteronomy 6, and this is a verse that I'm sure you're pretty familiar with at least because we've read it in a lot of different contexts. But Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 7, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And of course, he's talking about the statutes of the Lord, the the scriptures that they had that were available to them. And I understand that this is not explicitly referencing doing that through music but it is implied right if it's our responsibility to teach our children the truths of the scripture then however we have to teach them is the best way to do it look do you ever remember memorizing any songs in school that helped you memorize certain things like we had songs to help us memorize the presidents washington adams jefferson madison you ever do that or the states and the capitals and things like that hey the best i've never forgotten that song and I still know all the presidents, and if you ask me who was the, you know, the 15th president, I'm going to say Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, right? And that's how you get there, because that's how you memorized it, but it sticks in your head because it was put to music. And so it's a great way to teach our children the scriptures, right? Uh, and there's all kinds of, of music that is, that is put out by, by, great, uh, by good churches, but by great publication companies that are scripture songs put to music. And what a great way to teach those things to your children. And not just scripture songs, but, you know, uh, Patch the Pirate or some of these others that have great scriptural truths embedded in the songs. And, boy, I'm telling you, we, we had Patch the Pirate growing up. And if you have not heard of him, go look him up. He in um, fact, he's, he's not far from death, honestly. And I know that's a sad thing to say. But he got Alzheimer's or dementia, really, and he's, he's just kind of on the, on the last little bit of his life. But, man, that man has done some tremendous um, about an hour to an hour and a half long um, dramatization plays uh, that teach scriptural truths. And, and that's really what it is. But man, we, we were listening to those when we were kids and my kids are still listening to them and they're still putting out new ones every so often. And so uh, it's just, just tremendous, but filled with songs that teach scriptural truths. And I'm telling you, we listen to those things so many times that if, if they come on and my, I can quote Every line of every part and every song and everything. Because we listen to them so much, but it, 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 just, it just fills your heart, fills your mind with these scriptural truths. You know, the largest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms, right? And in Scripture, five times we're commanded to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Five times we see that. So if I'm going to teach my children all the Bible, it's going to include teaching them to know and sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. My kids uh, have and, and still do go to bed almost every night listening to sometimes songs, hymns, spiritual songs. That Almost every night, that's what they go to bed listening to. Now, every once in a while, they go to bed listening to a Patch of Pirate or something like that, which has got some speaking in it, too. But they've gone to sleep almost every night of their life listening to good, godly Christian music being played since before they were born. Uh, we were playing them for Jackson when he was still in you know, in, in, the, in the womb. And the same thing with Alex and Riley. I mean... Every single night they go to bed listening to it. It's almost if, if the music is not playing at night, they can't go to sleep because it's just, it's too quiet. I need to hear some songs, you know? So um, by the time my kids leave home, not counting the times that they hear music in church, they will have listened to thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. And they're going to learn a lot of scriptural truth through that. And by the way, so will you. It's good for you to listen to those things too, listening to those, those uh verses being sung, listening to the spiritual songs. That's one of the reasons why we play the songs on Sunday night. I'm trying to give you a taste for what good music should sound like and what it should be like. And so um, if, it's, if, it's not, if, it's, if it's good for your kids, then it's good for you. If it's not good for your kids, then it's not good for you. And that goes for principles a whole lot wider than just music. But um, uh, that's, that's, that's a good principle in music as well. So use music to teach your children scriptural truth. Number four, turn over to Numbers 21. You can use music to motivate yourself or others to accomplish something worthwhile. And I'm not necessarily saying, you know, you should be listening to the, the Rocky theme song or something when you're trying to accomplish something worthwhile. We're still talking about doing these, listening to music that fits in with scriptural principles. But this is exactly what happened in Numbers 21, verse number 16. And from thence they went to Beer, that is the well whereof the Lord spake unto Moses, gather the people together and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, spring up, O well, sing ye unto it. The princes digged the well, the nobles of the people digged it by the direction of the lawgiver with their staves, and from the wilderness they went to Matanah. The children of Israel needed to dig another well on their wilderness wanderings, right? They didn't seem to to be too up to the task for some reason, and maybe it was because they only had sticks to dig with, I don't know. But uh, Moses had everybody start singing while they worked, and it worked. They, they got the job done, there's, there's camaraderie, there's, there's this kind of joint improvement of mood when there is singing while work is being done. While we were working on this building, you know, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, we had music filling the entire auditorium, just, just listening to singing, sometimes singing ourselves and so on, but look, it worked for the seven dwarves, why can't it work for us, right? Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go, and they got the work done, and they came back, they were still singing, Right? Uh, but look, even the military uses that strategy, right? When you're going on these long marches, they're singing, and they're, you know, they're, they're singing while they're marching. And by the way, that's where a lot of our uh, spiritual songs came from, the, the Negro spirituals, right? As they were out there working in the fields, they were singing, swing low, sweet chariot. And a lot of these songs came from that because they had to do something to pass the time. They had to do something to help them with their work and to kind of ease that burden. So what did they do? They sang. And the more they sang, the more it it uplifted their spirits, and the more it got them through those those hard days that they went through. So um, anyway, you can use music to motivate yourself or others to accomplish something worthwhile. Number five, turn over to Isaiah 16. Number five, we can use music to reflect our joy. Use music to reflect your joy. As Christians, we sometimes think that if we do something just for the fun of it, then it must be wrong. If we're doing it only to have fun, then it must be wrong because Christians are not allowed to have fun, right? Now, obviously, there's a lot of things that are worldly fun that would not be okay for us to do as a Christian, but the Bible says we're supposed to live soberly, right? So we have to to be, it doesn't say somberly, it says soberly. Soberly means, uh, you know... Uh, live with a purpose. It doesn't mean without joy or without happiness or, you know, with a long look on our face and all of those kind of things. Uh, That's the way a lot of Christians live their lives. Well, I'm a Christian, so I can't do anything. Life's so miserable. Life's so boring. I can't. Blah, 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 blah. The Bible says live soberly, righteously, godly. That means we should just live with a purpose. We should live righteously. We should live godly. But we ought to have joy. And there's nothing wrong with going to do something just for the sake of having fun, right? We ought to do those kind of things. And so, uh, there's nothing wrong with good, clean, enjoyable fun. There's nothing wrong, uh, all things being equal, with music that expresses that. Isaiah 16 in verse number 9 says this, Therefore I will bewail with the weeping of Jazer, the vine of Sibmah. I will water with my tears, O Heshpan and Elah. For the shouting for thy summer fruits and for thy harvest is fallen. And gladness is taken away and joy out of the plentiful field. And in the vineyards there shall be no singing, neither shall there be shouting. The treaders shall tread out no wine in their presses. I have made their vintage shouting to cease. Now, granted, this passage is speaking of the exact opposite of what we're talking about, but I I don't think it's wrong to say that, that they sang to enjoy themselves. And they did these things while they were enjoying themselves. Now, I believe it assumes that it's perfectly acceptable and perfectly normal, as long as God's judging hand isn't on your life, to sing and and be joyful and do all these other things. Verse 10 says, and gladness is taken away, and joy out of the plentiful field. So that means they had joy in it. Uh, In the vineyards, there shall be no singing, which means they sang in the vineyards. Uh, Neither shall there be shouting, which means they did that as well. The treaders shall tread out no wine in their presses. I've made their vintage shouting to cease. So they did all of those things. God's heavy hand was on them, his judging hand was on them, but they did all those things when it wasn't, right? So I have a playlist on Spotify called Good Secular Songs, and it's obviously those songs, I believe, still have to fit in with principles of good Christian, I shouldn't even say Christian, but good music. But we'll listen to those things, those songs when we're you know, on a road trip or something like that, and just songs that, that, you know, that the kids love to hear, but we don't... We don't play them all that often because it's, it, you know, they're not Christian songs necessarily, but um, it, it's lighthearted, mostly lively music that we all enjoy, and they, and they love to listen to it on a trip or sometimes even at home. It really lightens the mood, and there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're not listening to these songs that have you know, cursing in it, or as long as you're not listening to the songs that have things that are, like, uh, or that are, that are singing about and glorifying sin, there's nothing wrong with it, Right? Sweet Caroline, we sing that one all the time. Pom pom pom, you know? I mean, they love it when they get to that part. We'll roll the windows down while we're driving down the road at you know, 8 o'clock at night in the middle of the summer, and, and just the, the wind's blowing through the car, and Sweet Caroline playing on the radio, right? Take Me Home, Country Road, something like that. There's nothing wrong with some of those kind of songs. I mean, obviously, if that's all you are feeding your heart and your mind on, then it's just like you, you're not going to go eat dessert you know, every single meal for everything that you eat, Right? You have to have the good meat and potatoes, the things that are going to keep you alive. Uh, But it's nothing wrong with having dessert every now and then, right? And that's kind of what that is. So nothing wrong with using music to reflect your joy. Here's another one. Number six, use music outwardly. uh, Use music to outwardly reflect your inner emotion. Now, turn over to Psalm 137. We've talked about this passage. I, I preached a message on this passage not all that long ago. But it says in verse number one, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. Here, I think the psalmist is likening the music of the harp, which is always peaceful, if not somber, to a weeping willow tree, right? The same concept we see that illustrated in the book of Job, and you don't have to turn over there, but in Job chapter 30, in verse number 31, my harp also is turned to mourning. And my organ into the voice of them that weep. Now I took piano lessons for a few years, from the time that I was in second grade till I was in sixth grade. I took piano lessons. I started playing the trumpet in the fourth grade, um, but when I got into six, uh, when I was getting ready to go into seventh grade, my parents said, "Look, you 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 know, obviously sports and all of these other things, and we we were very involved in sports there at the school and everything." And they said. If you want to stop taking piano lessons, you... And I said, I'm done taking piano lessons. (laughs) I didn't even let anyone get the words out of their mouth. If you want to stop, you can stop. Okay, I'm done, you know? It was one of those things that that, um, if you were a a boy in school and you played the piano, you kind of had this twinkle finger, you know... uh, um, People teased you about it, I guess, but um, it was busy anyway. I wish, though, now that I had stayed with it. I wish that I had just continued to learn to play the piano. Now, taking the piano for those four years gave me a really good, solid background in music. I was able to, I mean, I, play, I still play the trumpet. I, I picked up the guitar. I played uh, several other instruments and things like that. Most of that all based on the, the knowledge that I got in those four years and the good concept that I picked up in learning how to play the piano. I would love to be able, and I've said this so many times, I'd love to just be able to sit down at the piano and play what's in my mind, right? I'd love to be able to pick up the violin and just play what's in my mind. You know, can't hardly really do that with the trumpet without blasting everybody else out, you know? Um, I mean, I guess you could kind of do that on the guitar and things like that, but um, music gives us the ability to just say, how, say what we're feeling, because music is an emotional language. It's a language, right? And if you're like, yeah, you get down there and you just bang on the piano. If you're not, you can just play something nice and soft and soothing or whatever. I can't do that. I wish I could. But thankfully, through the modern technology that we have, we can just go find a song and listen to it, and it can you know, it can express that mood for us, I suppose. But uh, that's what music does, and there's nothing wrong with using music to uh, express how I feel at that moment. Two more. Number seven, we can use music to show our patriotic love for our country. Use music to show your patriotic love for your country. Turn over to 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18 and verse number 6. And we see this happening quite a few times, especially in these couple books here. 1st and 2 Samuel, 1st and 2nd Chronicles have a lot of this as well. Especially around David. But in 1 Samuel 18 and verse number 6, and it came to pass. As they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, with instruments of music. We see that happening. David did that a lot. Had a lot of these, uh, these singers that were around him. And it was. I, I think they were really just songs of national pride. They were so proud of what their king and what their military was able to accomplish, right? What American especially doesn't get you know, swelled up with pride at the playing of the Star Spangled Banner, right? Boy, uh, we were watching a, a NASCAR race uh, last week, and I don't know if they were, they must have been up near Canada or something like that, and so they were doing the Canadian National Anthem and the American National Anthem. And I was just listening to the Canadian National Anthem, I said, there's no wonder that nobody wants to be a Canadian. Why would you even want to, I mean, how? how is this? Oh, Canada, you know? and I was, it's just boring, but then they play the Star Spangled Banner after that, it just makes you proud to be an American, you know? It's, I think we have one of the best national anthems, if not the... No, we have the best national anthem in the world, you know? And, and I, I think, too, you know, uh, we watch just, just a little bit here and there of the Olympics and some of those medal ceremonies, and, and they play the Star Spangled Banner for the uh, American that won the gold medal, and I'm telling you, it just, it just makes you proud to be an American, you know? And there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Who doesn't love hearing America the Beautiful or God Bless America? You know, those are songs of national pride that just, you know, well up inside of us. And so uh, I, I'm involved, obviously, a lot of times with these police memorial ceremonies. They have every year, but, but even on different occasions, they have, um, you know, police memorial ceremonies that will honor the fallen police officers. And then they do, obviously on Memorial Day especially, they have, they have uh, ceremonies that honor our fallen soldiers and things like that. But to hear them uh, play taps, you know, and, and then uh, do the 21-gun salute and all of those things, it's just that, that music just, just helps, you know, swell that national pride inside of each one of us. And so uh, use music to show your patriotic love for your country. Here's the last one. We could say a whole lot about this, and I won't, but number eight. Use music to pray and praise. There's so many examples of this in the Psalms that there's, there's not even any point in listing all of them, but a Christian whose heart is warm toward God is, is very often going to find a psalm or a hymn in their hearts, in their minds, on their lips, all the way throughout the day. And I know that for the most part that's the way it is with, with all of us. My dad used to do this all the time. We'd be, you know, we'd be... Uh, uh, driving down the uh, down the road on our way to you know uh, the next job, I w- worked with him a lot, and he'd just start singing, you know, and, and the same thing we we all do that often, you know, a song gets stuck in your head, and you just can't get that song out of your head, and you sing it all day, and you know so that that happens a lot of times with these choruses that we sing on Sundays, and it just it just rolls through your head over and over and over and over, and that's a good, that's a good thing, that's a good thing. You want it to be that way, but. Um, a Christian that, that is right with God is, is going to find that on their hearts and their minds and, and, and expressed through their lips every single day, whether you're in the shower or in the car or, you know, it doesn't matter where. You're going to be singing these songs of, of praise and, and uh, prayer, really, but um, listening to them, whistling them, humming them, quoting them, that's, that's how you keep your heart and mind where it should be, Right? Try doing something that you know you should not be doing while you're singing a song that you heard in church on Sunday, right? Try try singing, press on, heaven's not so far away, while you're going somewhere you shouldn't go, right? Try singing, you know, oh Lord, you've been so good, while you're mad at somebody and you know, you're you're thinking about going next door and shooting them or something, right? I mean, try doing it, you can't. And that's why it's so important that we fill our hearts up and fill our minds up with this good... Godly Christian music, because that's what's going to be on our hearts and minds throughout the day. So, I was taught, or at least given the impression, as as a as a young person, that the only scripturally valid use of music was spiritual, um, or you know, basically in reference to or toward or about God. But I, I think if you look closer at the scriptures, that that doesn't really bear that out. And and maybe I just misunderstood, you know. I'm, and as a young person growing up in church, you don't. You're not always paying attention to everything that's being taught or preached or whatever else, but at least that's the impression that I got, that the only music you can ever listen to is music that's singing about God or music that's, you know, scriptural. But honestly, we see all the way throughout the Bible that there is a whole lot more uses for music. Now, all of my music has to yield to the scriptural principles of music, but it doesn't all have to be all about God. Now, that should be the majority of it, the same way that I said, the meat and potatoes, that is your life. You are a Christian. The majority of the music that you listen to ought to be music that's centered around God and the Bible and prayer and praise and all of those things. But it doesn't mean that all of it has to be. And there's times for lightheartedness, there's time for different types of songs that we can listen to, that we can sing that are there's nothing wrong with. And so, um, again, it has to fit in with those scriptural principles I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about the, the spiritual aspects of music, and, and so what I'm doing in these first few weeks is really just kind of trying to set the, set the, the I don't know if tone is the right word, but show you what music is in the Bible, and what is what is scripturally acceptable and what's not, and we're going to talk about the principles of music. How do you determine, okay, here's a song that, yeah, it could be kind of right on the border. Is it okay to listen to that song, or is it not? We're gonna talk about the scriptural principles of music. So whether it's a spiritual song or not, it still needs to fit in with the scriptural principles of music. So those are the things that we're gonna be going through. Um, I I wanna make sure you know at the beginning of this that that we should, you know, a, a majority of our music should be scriptural and spiritual. It's still perfectly scriptural to use music Personally, in a broader sense than just that every song that we listen to or sing has to be about God. We we have a, a broader spectrum that, according to the Bible, is okay. We just have to make sure that those fit in with the scriptural principles of music, which we're gonna talk about as we go forward. All right? Let's pray and then we'll sing our song and be dismissed. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for a good service this morning. I thank you for a good uh, opportunity this morning as well. I, I do pray that you'd guide us, lead our church in the direction that you want us to go, and I pray that you'd help us to only be satisfied with where you want us to be. And God, I do thank you for the principles that we have here of what we're talking about tonight with music. I pray that our music would be pleasing to you. I pray that it would be honoring to the Word of God and that it would be something that is, is cultivating hearts and minds that will be pointed toward Jesus Christ in our own lives, in the lives of our children, and in the lives of everybody that we come into contact with. God, I pray that you'd help us uh, uh, this week to be the witness for you that you need us to be so that we might win our community and even this world for Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.